Good evening. It's good to see all of you here. We appreciate you coming back out tonight and uh, spending this time in study together. And uh, I'll ask you, go ahead now, if you will, and open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. And I go ahead and give that to you now because it may take a little longer. Uh, we don't go there very often, do we? But uh, the book of Habakkuk tonight. We live in a difficult time. And uh, is there... There we go. We live in difficult times. And um, there are, there. well, I guess it's always been that way. There's probably not a generation that hasn't lived in difficult times. When I was a child, I remember Vietnam. And I was thinking, boy, am I going to, am I going to, is that still going to be going on when I get old enough to, to go, you know, to, to war myself? And I remember watching the nightly news and looking at the casualties, the Viet Cong and, and the American forces how many were killed on that particular day, and, and that was something that worried me as a child. Um, as we got older, I, I remember the, the Cold War uh, between Russia, uh, the USSR, and uh, it, it's hard to imagine that, you know, a lot of young people don't even know what that was about and, and how tense some of those times got. But I mean, now we live in a time when there's, you know, the whole Middle Eastern conflict that takes place and the whole Islamic issue that, uh, you know, the extremists that are um, pursuing uh, forcefully their religion and taking the lives and uh, through terroristic ways. And uh, it, it's troublesome times. Uh, the, the world is unstable. Just one person could trigger a, a series of events that can just really disrupt our peace and our safety. I know the Bible tells us, Paul told us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, to pray for kings and those who are in power, and, and uh, we need to do that. We, whether you agree with your president or not, or whether you like him or not, we need to pray for him. And specifically with the intent that Paul told us to pray, that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. Uh, we want to have a, an environment where we can teach others about Jesus without being disrupted and without uh, facing obstacles in, in fulfilling that mission. But in the midst of chaos, can there be calm? Can we find assurance and I believe the answer to that is yes. And I want to I want to spe- specify and emphasize a couple things tonight that we need to be mindful of that I believe will help us in the midst of chaos to to find peace and serenity and, and calmness. Um, and I think it's important because here's what I do when I get scared, I back off. When, when I'm frightened, I withdraw. And, and, you know, if, if you were reaching your hand in something and you saw something in there that scared you, you'd pull your hand out. And, and that's the way we are with a number of things. And God doesn't need a people that are timid. God doesn't need a people who withdraw from society and, and just cower in their own little communities. And, and, well, do you remember right after Jesus had been crucified, the disciples met, to, met together in that room, that upper room, and they locked the door for fear of those on the outside. Jesus had given them a mission to reach those people, but they were afraid of the people that Jesus told them to go reach. 
And so they had locked the doors and they were huddled together doing no one any good. They had to get out of that room. And we have to find a way to find calm in the midst of disturbing things that we see so that we can be effective and useful to the Lord. Let me share with you a time, if you have your Bible in Habakkuk chapter 1, let me share with you a, a very disturbing, chaotic time that is described there. In Habakkuk chapter 1, the prophet cries out, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you'll not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There's strife and contention that arises. Therefore, the law was powerless. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Habakkuk is trying to live a holy life in the midst of a chaotic world. And he says, Lord, how long? How are you... How are you going to let and how long are you going to let this kind of wickedness go on? Justice never goes forth. Perversion is everywhere. What's, what's up with that? And God answers Habakkuk's question because he goes on to say, listen, Habakkuk, I, I'm doing something right now. And, and you never know and you never believe it if it weren't for the fact that I'm going to tell you. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. That cruel and hasty nation. And I'm going to have them come and discipline Judah for all of its sin. For all the things that you just described to me. They're, they're going to, they're going to pay. Well, that caused Habakkuk to kind of scratch his head and say, wait, 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 wait a second. The Chaldeans, they're worse than we are. How can you use a worse nation, a more wicked nation to punish a lesser wicked nation. That doesn't seem fair to me. Now, he said, and he couched it in very careful terms, he said, I I know that you're upright. I know that you're holy. I know that you would never do anything unjust. But I'm telling you this, I don't get it. How, God, can you do this? And until you answer me, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait for your answer. Well, God then answers his question in chapter 2. And basically what he tells Habakkuk is, you need to live by your faith. The just shall live by his faith. And those wicked Chaldeans that I'm using for this specific purpose, I'll take care of them and I'll bring justice to them in due time. I'm going to mete out justice to the wickedness in Judah, and I'll mete out justice against the wickedness that I see in, in the Chaldeans. Just let me do it in my own way. I'm God after all. Trust me. That satisfied Habakkuk. And there's that statement at the very end of the book that I want to focus on, and this is what I want to see in us. We live in chaotic times. I don't know that they're as chaotic as the impending destruction that Habakkuk was facing. Because he's just been told an invading army is going to sweep in and take you all captive and kill many of you. How scary would that be? How disruptive would that be? How can you find calm when you know that's going to happen the day after tomorrow? Well, listen to what Habakkuk says in chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. 
When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. He said, it made me sick when I heard what God said. I mean, I trembled. I I got sick. Rottenness entered my bones. I was scared to death. I trembled. My lips quivered at what I was hearing. This is scary. What what am I going to do? Listen to his attitude. Verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may cut off from the fold or be cut off from the fold and, and there is no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make me my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. Basically, Habakkuk says, I'm really, I really don't like what's coming down the pike here. But I'll tell you this. I have full faith in God. I will trust in Him. And I know that everything will be okay. That's the attitude that I want us to develop. Easy. Life is scary. There are chaotic things, chaotic events that happen, not only from a societal standpoint, but even within our own homes and our own families. But in the midst of that, can we trust God, and find peace? I think we can. And here are a couple keys that will help us to do that. Number one, what we need to do is we need to live with assurance. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 tells us that we can know that if we believe in Jesus Christ, that He's the Son of God, we can know that we have eternal life. We need to live in... Get beyond the, boy, I sure hope I'm saved. John said, you can know you're saved. Well, how can I know that? Well, what did the Bible say? What has the Spirit taught us through His Word that we need to do to be saved? And you can testify to the fact that you've either obeyed that or not obeyed that. We can find assurance through the scriptures to know whether or not we're saved. And and I know that sometimes people raise an eyebrow when we talk about security in Christ because all of a sudden everybody goes to that far extreme of eternal security. You, you Once saved, always saved. If you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. Well, that's not a biblical concept. We can lose our salvation, but listen, there still is security in Christ. The fact that we can be lost doesn't mean that we're going to be lost. The fact that there is a possibility of apostasy doesn't mean that there's a probability of apostasy. We can have assurance. God intends for us to have assurance, to be able to pillow our head at night and know that if something happened to me, if the Lord returned, I would go to heaven. That's the kind of assurance that that we need to have. Surely we can talk about God's grace without the topic centering around falling from it. 
There's more to that topic than just the fact that we can fall from it. Now, I'm not minimizing that. We need to teach that. But is the grace of God not good news? Can we not, instead of simply focusing on the fact that we can fall from grace, can we not maybe focus on the fact that we can stand in God's grace, Romans 5 and verse 2, and be secure in His grace? Sure, we need to warn about falling. But we also need to reassure ourselves that God is on our side and who can stand against us? Apart from me rebelling against God as a child of God, apart from me rebelling and, and turning aside from the will of God and, and, and seeking my own agenda rather than His and, and failing to humble myself, I have assurance that God will be a God who forgives me and who will take me home to be with Him. Assurance. Whatever this world has that just is upside down, I can pillow my head at night and say, yes, but I'm a child of God. And this is only temporary. Heaven is eternal. Here's the second thing that will help me to have calm in the midst of chaos, and that is to simply love the truth. I need to love the truth, not just believe the truth, but love the truth. I think Habakkuk loved the truth because when you read what he says, he, he talks about how that this is a burden that he was sharing. It's not anything that he wanted to ta- say, uh, but it was something he, he didn't like to say. The burden of Habakkuk the prophet, um, even though it was burden, even though it involved things that uh, weren't pleasant, he had to preach the truth. He had to write the truth. And we don't do each other a favor when we shield people from truth. Uh, Truth is sometimes hard. Haven't we all been on the receiving end of truth that just kind of stung a little bit? While truth may be difficult and while it may be hard, it's never burdensome. It's, it's never bad for us. You've probably, many of you have had surgery before. Surgery isn't pleasant. But aren't you glad we can do it? Because it makes you better. Have you ever had a shot? Shots aren't pleasant. But aren't you glad that we have shots? Because it's good. And truth isn't bad, but sometimes it stings. We have to get our lives in harmony with it and and change the way we're living from time to time, but it's never burdensome. I would much rather have someone tell me the truth than to lie to me. I would much rather be divided by truth. I love to get along with people. I love peace, but I would much rather be divided by the truth than to be united by a lie. I would much rather speak the truth that hurts and then heals than to speak the truth that harms or comforts and then kills. Wouldn't you? I want to know the truth. If I need to make some changes in my life, I want to know that. I, I think it's better to be hated for speaking the truth than to be loved for speaking a lie that people enjoy and and feel uh, appreciative of. 
I'd rather stand alone with the truth than to stand with people who are devoid of truth. Truth needs to be supreme. Our our goal in life is not unity. I I love unity. And, And God said how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, but that is not the highest goal. Unity sometimes has to be sacrificed for the sake of truth. Truth needs to be supreme in our life, our love for the truth. I think truth can give me peace when the world is in chaos. I can pillow my head and say, I know I'm doing right. At that, I can know. Here's a third thing that I think will help us in in chaos is that we just need to remember our mission. What are we doing? Our mission is to preach the gospel to the whole world. Our mission is to preach, not to convert, but to preach. And and if I can understand, like Noah, man, do do you know how frustrating he must have been or how frustrating that must have been for him? Preach and preach and preach and preach, and no one listens. And I suspect that he became the object of their ridicule. This crazy guy building this big old boat. And by the way, this morning I said if you went from here all the way down to the kitchen, that was the length of the ark. Greg said I quoted him wrong. He walked it off. That's half the distance of the ark. Can you believe that? I mean, if you stand here and look all the way down there and see how far that is and then think about doing it again. Huge. But here Noah is preaching. No responses. That can be disturbing if you misplace your purpose. My mission isn't to convert. My mission is to preach. My mission isn't to be successful. My mission is to be faithful. Second Corinthians or First Corinthians chapter 4 says that in stewards it is required that they be found faithful. Not successful, but faithful. I need to remember my mission. My mission is to teach, to let people know about Jesus and so that they can make their own choice as to whether they want to embrace him or not. And then here's the last thing. If you want calm in the midst of chaos, remember the power of prayer. Prayer is not a psychological advantage. It is real. It is substantive. God really engages himself in our culture and in our lives. And through his providence, he can arrange things for us to our good, to the good of those for whom we pray. He can make things better than they otherwise would have been. He can redeem what is a horrible situation through our prayers becomes an avenue through which we grow closer to him. Pray. Paul said, pray without ceasing. James says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails a little. No, it avails much. Do we believe in prayer? If we did and we knew... You know, there was a time back years ago when we first started preaching, Kim and I had been in in West Virginia for about five years, and we said, it's time to move. And so... There was a church in Tennessee, and we had talked to that congregation, and they said, 
we want to hire you. Uh, we've got one more guy that we're, we're, we promised he could come and speak, uh, but we're not really interested. We're going to go through and let him do his thing, though. And, and then when he's done, we'll call you right back, and we'll work on the, the arrangements and the details of us moving. Listen, Kim and I had prayed and prayed and prayed about these decisions. And what ended up happening is that they ended up deciding to hire the guy that uh, they interviewed last. And and after a couple of weeks, I called them and I said, I hadn't heard from you. And they said, uh, well, um, I hate to tell you this, but we went ahead and hired this other guy. And I went, okay, well, well, thank you. And there was a sense of disappointment for a little bit, but we both said, we have prayed about this enough that I am absolutely confident that it is in God's will and that the best thing has happened. And we were at peace with that. Whereas I don't think I would have been as much at peace if I hadn't prayed. I would have been upset and frustrated and aggravated and, oh, what's next now and and stuff. But I was totally at peace with those unpleasant circumstances because we had prayed so much. Prayer can give you peace. It can let you know and assure you that God is working on your behalf for your good and for the good of others. Let's use that resource. Let's allow it to strengthen us during times when, well, we see chaos everywhere. So tonight, I just wanted to remind you that uh, we are living in chaotic times. We have so many cultural things issues going on in our society, uh, truths are, are that were once long-held, cherished views, values, have been just destroyed in this generation. They have been broken by this generation, and it's disturbing. And when we think about, well, what will our children face and our grandchildren face, it even gets more disturbing But I believe we can find peace. And I believe that we can pillow our head at night and not have to bear all those burdens by ourselves. Because by trusting in God, by believing that He is in control, and that we are saved, and that heaven is our home, and that whatever earthly problems we have, they're just temporary And we'll be relieved of all of them sooner than we all realize. We we can find peace. Habakkuk said, it scares me to death to think about what's coming very soon. But I'll tell you what, I am going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. And I'm going to put my trust in Him. And no matter what happens, if our livelihood fails... I will still rejoice in the God of my salvation. And I want us to have that same resolve. I don't like everything that's going on, but let us with renewed zeal rejoice in the God of our salvation and find comfort in the care and the promises that he gives us. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God and you're not the recipient of those promises, why don't you make that decision tonight? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you need to do that, make that decision tonight. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, and it's time to get your life right. 
You're tired of living, you know, from one day to the next, unsure of your destiny. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He'll lift you up. If we can pray with you and for you, uh, we will do so if you'll come as we stand together and sing.